I almost entitled this episode Such a Jerk, but I didn't, so you can thank me for that. Welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Today, we're going to talk about toxicity and purity. We'll talk about how insults and name-calling and gossip can really get us grimy, soul-wise, and we'll do a little practice at the end to clear things out a bit. Saucha is the first of the niyamas, the observances in the eight-limbed path of yoga. And saucha means purity or cleanliness, the opposite of which is excess or toxicity. And what better time to talk about the toxicity of gossip and hurtful words than the day the president calls former FBI director James Comey a slime ball. That's a quote. This makes me so angry by the way. I mean, surprise about that, right? But the fact that the president of the United States is acting like a rude little boy by publicly name-calling a man who is by all other accounts a respected servant of the law. I don't particularly have an opinion on James Comey. I've heard great things about him. I have questioned some of his decisions in the past. I am not in his life. I don't think he's a slime ball. Obviously, he's helping determine the fate of a certain aspect of the course of our nation, as do all public servants. However, it's not cool to call someone a slime ball. You don't have to be over five years old to figure that out. Trump is, in my opinion, the embodiment of what happens when you do not practice saucha. He does not eat clean or think clean. And what comes out of his mouth is more toxic than what goes into it. And because he has such a powerful platform, he has the ability to spread that toxicity far and wide. And like all pitta things, gossip and insults are both oily and spreading and penetrating. It pierces through the flesh and the heart. And once it's inside, it spreads, filtering into all the spaces and rotting everything from the inside out. Or, you know, maybe, I don't know, shining a light on truth that needs to be revealed in order to heal, blah, blah, blah. Look, that may be true. I know a lot of people who are getting through this entire presidency by believing, by holding fast to the belief that this is a necessary step, that all of this ugliness was there already under the surface, and now that we can see it, we can deal with it. And I get that. I really do. I think to some extent that's true. A lot of ugliness is coming into the light. Racism is coming into more clear focus. Sexism coming into more clear focus. Ableism, ageism, size prejudice. A lot of these things are coming more and more into focus. At the same time, some of this ugliness is coming out into the clear and then staying there, setting up camp and being like a new normal thing. It's totally normal for people that are supposed to be working for us to just engage in wild infighting and completely ignore or set aside what might be right for the American people. Today, when I'm recording this, the entire Republican Party set up an attack on one man. This spread of insult and toxicity has a website and everything. This name calling is a hallmark of Trump's 
dating back to the campaign when Lion was Lion Ted Cruz, not Lion Comey. Clinton, of course, crooked. Chuck Schumer was crying. I don't really remember what that was about. People are sleepy or sloppy or lying or crying or sneezy or dopey. These are the kinds of insults any one of us would discourage in school children. And we're just used to it. Obviously, these aren't the worst things Trump has said. His insults have gone much deeper and much more painful when it comes to larger groups of people he doesn't like, like shithole countries or entire countries full of rapists and criminals. So what do we do in this situation? Aside from vote, is everyone registered to vote, you guys? I just want to make sure everyone knows that we're supposed to vote now. We can't just be upset and not vote. So I think you know that, but if you want to vote and you don't know how or if you're registered, honestly, email me. We can talk about it. I mean, you can Google it, but if you haven't already, there's obviously a reason why. So let's talk about it. I've never wanted to call a group of public officials the horrible words I can think of as much as I have in the last few months. The amount of vitriol is historic. Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. But damn, that is tough. Rising above is tough. I want to give into this feeling. I desperately want to give these people a piece of my mind in ways that are completely non-productive and just offensive. And so we're going back to our roots. How do we live in this world where toxicity of thought is all around us? Well, what is yoga? Why is it relevant? Because it is. So let's see what scholars had to say about Saucha and why it's a tenant of yogic philosophy and a virtue. Today is going to be the first in a series where we talk about the niyamas and how they apply to our modern life. So first, we must remember that yoga is, of course, not just postures or even postures and breathing or even postures and breathing and meditation. Yoga classically has eight limbs. Yama, which we've discussed here on the show, restraints or moral disciplines. Niyama, which we'll get into now. These are positive duties or observances. The asana, postures, pranayama, breath, pratyahara, sense withdrawal, dharana, concentration, dhyana, absorption, and samadhi, enlightenment, or bliss. The niyamas are also codes of conduct for living, but these disciplines focus on how you treat yourself a little bit more. The yamas were more how you treated others in the world around you. So saucha is purity, santosha, contentment, tapas, tiny plates of food, just kidding, self-discipline, svadhyaya, self-study, and ishvara pranidhana, which is surrender to a higher source. So we're starting with saucha, literally meaning purity, pronounced saucha. I almost entitled this episode saucha jerk, but I didn't. So you can thank me for that. This is the principle of cleanliness. It refers to keeping good hygiene, but also refraining from the impure or toxic in thought, word, or deed. Practicing internal cleanliness means avoiding egoism, gossip, hurtful topics, And it also connotes a moderate, balanced, healthy diet. Cleanliness is next to godliness, right? 
Saucha, or holistic purity of the body, is considered essential for health, happiness, and general well-being, which is why when we looked at the recommended daily routines for Ayurveda, the morning is spent cleaning the body, cleaning the mouth, cleaning the skin, the body, and the mind. I am making a choice here not to spend a ton of time talking about clean eating for a couple of reasons. One, all that information is out there. There's more information than maybe even we know what to do with. There's not a ton of benefit to me rereading all of that to you. And two, and perhaps more importantly, I think we as a culture get really hyper-focused on that a lot, what and how we eat and how we exercise. And the wellness community puts a lot of energy in those places, which is good. It's important. But I think more energy can be spent on what and how we think and feel and what we absorb in terms of information and how that feeds us. Saucha does go beyond purity of body and includes purity of speech and mind. Anger, hate, prejudice, greed, pride, fear, negative thoughts are all sources of impurity in the mind. Traditionally, those impurities are cleansed through the process of self-examination or knowledge of self. You get there through meditation. The mind is purified through mindfulness and meditation on one's intention on your feelings, on actions, and the causes of that. So there are a bunch of ways we can approach Saucha in our daily lives. Some are to be clean and to eat clean, right? Wash yourself, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. In your home, clean up. It's spring, sort of, finally. There's a reason why I've said this before. There's a reason why Mary Kondo is so popular. When the world is full of shit, it feels good to have a clean closet. Here's a thing, and this might sound silly, but have you ever spotted a dust bunny or a Lego on the floor and you're in the middle of something so you don't pick it up right away or whatever it is, a piece of clothing out of place, a dish on the counter, whatever it is. Then throughout the day, you just keep noticing it out of the corner of your eye, right? Your peripheral vision latches onto it but you're on the way to the laundry with a pile of stuff or you're on the phone or you're doing something else, but you keep on seeing it. There's a theory that every time you notice that dust bunny or Lego or whatever it is and you don't do something about it, it takes energy away from you. It steals your thought and your energy because you are distracted by it. See, here's my theory about minimalists. They're just lazy. Because the more stuff you have, the more stuff can be out of place. And the more stuff that's out of place, the more energy you lose. So minimalism is simply energy efficiency. Less stuff to clean up, less stuff to be distracted by. Too much stuff is exhausting. Side note, that's not philosophy. That's just me. That whole last thing about stuff was me. I don't like stuff. I think it's exhausting. But not everyone feels that way. Some people really get love and energy and comfort from stuff, but my way works better for this particular argument in the context of Saucha, so I'm going with it. So Saucha, body, food, home, what about work? You ever have a bunch of useless meetings in a day and you don't get anything done and then you feel exhausted? That's because your day is cluttered and chaotic and littered with nonsense. So how can you apply purity there? Mm. Any chance of cutting down the meetings? I don't know. I'm not the boss of you, but think about it. Here's another one. Online. Our time online is generally speaking toxic. Not for everyone. Again, just like having stuff and things around the house, this differs for everyone. Some people love to see pictures of the grandkids and they keep up with people they don't get to see 
or they use it to connect with groups they don't get to see in person. This was the great hope of social media. But what can also happen, this is the reason why I talk about it is because I notice it in my life, right? So what can also happen is what I'm positing here is that even neutral social interaction can be clutter. Scrolling through Instagram, looking at Pinterest, flipping through a slideshow of 26 things you didn't know about llamas or whatever it is. Not necessarily sludgy, bad, toxic thought. It's not like we're reading the president's Twitter feed, but it's not really clean either. What thoughts are those inspiring? What kinds of feelings are they inspiring? If these images and ideas inspire love, that's great. Joy, awesome. But if they just serve to zone us out like a drug or if they make us feel less than great, if we end up comparing our lives to these constant fake constructed images, then that's not great. That's not clean. So even if these things are only distractions, you know, I'd venture to say yogic philosophy would not be a fan. Why is distraction so bad? Distraction takes us away from our ultimate goal, which is liberation, enlightenment, samadhi. Most of the internet is a distraction from that. And the news, here's where the GOP comes into play. Okay, and not just the GOP. Fine, let's be even-handed. Also, some Democrats, also people who mean well, but say exclusionary things, or also white feminism, also the police, also just humans in general. The world is full of negativity, and it can be hard to avoid it all because it's the world, and we live here, and toxicity is all around us. Okay, for example, in New York, the weather is getting nicer, at least for the weekend. Eventually, someday, it will be summer, and women, myself included, will wear some kind of sandal outside. The socks stay in the dresser drawer in the summer, I'll put on a pair of sandals and get on the subway and be out in the world walking around. My feet at the end of that day will be disgusting. Summer feet are dirty feet. I live in a dirty place. There's pollution around and eight and a half million people and it's gross. It really, it's gross. So what do I do? Do I lock myself in my apartment and never leave? Hopefully, no. I go out into the world and I get dirty. And then before I get into bed, I'm sure as hell gonna wash my feet. And that's all we can do in the world. Toxicity is around us. It is inside of us. Impurity of mind and thought, gossip, anger, jealousy. We're human. That stuff is inevitable. We can choose to go live in a cave, keep on our socks and shoes all the time, or we can get dirty, live in dirt, roll around in dirt, take the dirty feet to bed, let our mind roll around in insults and anger, which inevitably gets even the parts of us that weren't in contact with the street completely filthy. But there is a middle way to live, of course. If we want to be out in the world, be out there and also wash up when you get home, right? Read the news, stay informed. We have to do this in order to take action, in order to not hide away. We have to get our hands dirty to make change. Also, make sure to wash up. Ensure you don't roll around in the muck and the mire and start to drown in it. So how does yoga suggest you wash up? Through mindfulness, through conscious discernment. We can train ourselves to bring our thoughts back from the brink, to bring our thoughts from judgment to compassion, 
from anger to compassion. Honestly, compassion works for me as a way to transform any negative thought. And please, I'm not saying buy a good vibes only t-shirt and then be done with it because that too is problematic. You can't ignore the dirt. You can't ignore racism or people who protest against racism. You can't ignore I you know any really any protest or anyone shouting about anything. It's not helpful to say protests are bad vibes, right? You can see how that's problematic. Bad vibes exist and I don't think ignoring them works, but indulging them doesn't either. Here's another way to think about it. Examine the intention behind a train of thought or an intention behind what you say. We can ask ourselves, will this create more or less suffering for me and for those who hear it or read it or absorb what I'm about to say? One of my teachers, Preeti Robin Ross, would always ask, what is the loving thing to do? And for me, there's always a a cynical, I don't know, New York part of my brain that would kind of roll my eyes at that. But why? It's incredibly helpful. Is what I'm about to do or say or retweet or whatever going to cause harm or joy? Am I propagating hate or compassion? And it's not always black or white. Maybe it's more like, am I spreading hate to one group or am I supporting another group? Can you reframe your reaction in terms of support for those who need support instead of anger or condemnation for those who you would want to blame? Do you see how that could potentially shift things a little bit? It shifts our focus away from what's ugly to what's helpful. It's not ignoring what's ugly and moving on with our day. It's taking action, but doing so in a, in a slightly more positive way. Again, it doesn't mean look away from ugliness and ignore pain and suffering. Instead, help those who are suffering instead of blaming those who cause suffering. That's where I'm going with that. And that reframing can be huge, huge. We're going to do a little purifying practice in just a second. But first, I want to thank you, as always, for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. We're all over the place. And please do rate us if you are so inclined. We've been getting some fun reviews in, and please do keep them coming. You can do it right in iTunes. It's easy peasy. You can always find all our back and future episodes of Yoga for the Revolution on yogafortherevolution.org. Go there and go to contact to sign up for the newsletter. This puppy goes out once a month and it'll fill you in on anything you missed on the show as well as let you know of any workshops or live events I'm doing. For example, I'm assisting a retreat the weekend of June 8th with the lovely Jill Braverman up in P-Town, Massachusetts. There might still be a spot or two left when this episode goes live, so you can squeak on in. If you get the newsletter, though, you wouldn't be finding out at the last minute. You would know ahead of time with plenty of time to sign up. But if you are interested in coming to Provincetown and doing a little bit of yoga, but then sometimes just sitting on the balcony of a hotel where someone else makes the bed and cleans things for you and it's quiet and you can listen to the waves, that's pretty cool. Go to jillbraverman.com, J-I-L-L-B-R-A-V-E-R-M-A-N.com. In the meantime, 
you can talk to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution or follow on Twitter at Y underscore F underscore T underscore R and look for yoga for the revolution on Instagram. And now we can get back to being pure of heart. Any meditation practice is helpful in terms of Saucha. Taking dedicated time to clear the clutter of our brains and find some kind of silence, even if it's just a glimpse of stillness, is beneficial. And pranayama, breath practice, can also be used to clear the way or to cleanse. And really, again, any breathing practice is going to help cleanse the system. Iyengar, for those of you who have heard or have not heard of Iyengar, Iyengar says pranayama cleanses and aerates the lungs, oxygenates the blood, and purifies the nerves. So instead of getting all fancy, we'll just go back to the basics here. Simple breathing, cleansing breath. For this breathing practice, we're going to focus on elongating the exhale. So the exhale becomes twice as long as the inhale. And that's really it. If you can imagine why, right? We're exhaling in order to let go of things we don't need. I'm not necessarily talking about emotionally even, just logistically, the way cells work the way our body works, we exhale the things that we no longer have a use for. And we inhale, we inspire things that we do need. It works out really well that way. So find a place to be. Find yourself. Where are you? If at all possible, get grounded. Maybe both feet on the ground. If you're sitting in a chair, get both of those feet on the ground. Tall spine. So a tall spine doesn't mean military. It doesn't mean pulling the the shoulder blades all the way back behind you so the chest is open and the space between your rib cage and your hips gets all Muppet mouth open. Keep the space between your rib cage and your hip, your pelvic girdle, parallel like a cylinder and just elongate from there like a slinky going straight up. What we're doing here is just creating more room for the lungs. More room. So lungs can breathe, expand as much as they need to, contract as much as they need to. So for a moment, just breathe normally. Notice the breath. Is it ragged, sticky, or smooth and clear? Whatever it is, just notice. We're going to do three deep breaths in through the nose, exhaling out the mouth. Breathe it in. Sigh it out. Breathing in through the nose and exhaling everything out. One more like this. Breathing in through the nose. Exhale it out. Let it go. Come back to your normal breath. Keep breathing as I describe what comes next. We'll breathe in on a count of four as if you're sipping air through the nose. We'll hold the breath just for a moment and then exhale slowly on a count of eight through the nose, not one big rush of air like we just did. We'll do this a couple of times. I'll lead it. You don't have to count. And if this count isn't right for you, go at your own pace. So come back to conscious breathing. Set up your frame, the structure of your body so your lungs have room. And then we're inhaling through the nose for two three, four, and pause. Exhale for two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
eight. Again, inhale, two, three, four, pause, exhale, slow, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Release everything, let go control of the breath, return to normal. So that eight count might feel long for you. That's okay. Adjust. See if you can let go of just tiny sips of air. Imagine you're holding the closed mouth of a full balloon and you just want to squeak out a little bit at a time. Again, you can think of the inhale as a purifying breath in and the exhale as a chance to let go of what you don't need. Or you can just listen to counting and breathe. Let's do this a few more times. Prepping the frame. Inhale for two, three, four, pause. Exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Again, inhale, two, three, four, pause. Exhale, slow, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Inhale for two, three, four, pause, exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Inhale again, two, three, four, exhale, slow, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Inhale. Pause, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Exhale anything else out. (sighs) Let it go. Return to your normal breath. Maintain your focus just for a moment. And then resituate yourself. Shake it off. Bring awareness back to your feet. Adjust what you need to adjust. Just let it go. If your eyes are closed, keep them closed for just a moment and notice. Notice if there are any changes in your thought pattern, any changes in your breath. And then slowly open your eyes, come back to wherever you are, and take this with you. 100% purity is not possible if you live in the world, but it's easy to clean up when you get dirty. It's just practice. So until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.